0: Section two of Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gurgen, Gilbert, Arizona. Anecdotes of Big Cats and Other Beasts by David Alec Wilson. Section two The Wonderful Escape of Tiger Hill. I am sorry to say it is more than twenty years since I began to listen to stories of tigers and leopards in Burma, and even more since I first made acquaintance with the beast myself. I do not expect to see any more now, except in a zoo, so perhaps it is time to note what has been learned, to retell the best of what I have heard, and in short, do for others what others in days gone by have done for me. I have always considered that the man who keeps a good story fresh is the greatest of public benefactors what made me think of this in connection with cats was the recent discovery of the truth of a story which i have heard many times without believing it it was first told to me in eighteen ninety-one by Burmans in the locality where it happened then and as often afterwards as it was told i questioned the speaker about how he knew and never was quite satisfied Even the version of it in Colonel Pollock's Wild Sports of Burma and Assam, page 65 of the 1900 edition, read like hearsay and seemed unconvincing. At last, in 1908, Colonel Dobbs told it to me in Cunor, and when he was questioned he was able to delight me with the news that he had seen the thing. So here it is. The time was 1859. The scene was the forest-covered hilly ground, about seventy miles north of Malmain, in what is now Billan Township of Thetan District, Burma, between the Sitang and Salween Rivers. A detachment of the 32nd Madras Native Infantry, under Captain Manley, was marching on business there, going in single file along a footpath, preceded by the civil officer with them, a Mr. Charles Hill. Hill was a big man, over six feet and of great strength, and strode ahead with a big stick in his hand, while two orderlies or servants followed at a careless distance behind him with his weapons. This Chinese way of making war or hunting is almost a custom in Burma among Europeans, and a very natural custom, too, in a hot, moist climate. Suddenly Hill came upon a tiger, lying full length on the footpath, apparently asleep. He looked round and called for his gun it was, for the moment, out of reach. Perhaps it may be worth while to try to make the ordinary stay-at-home Englishman, who does not know how lucky he is to be able to stay at home, and knows a great deal less than he supposes, realize how and why the sensations of Mr. Hill were different from what his own would have been. The first point is that Hill knew what a Londoner would never suspect, that there was no particular cause to be afraid. If afraid, he had only to go back a few yards and shout and bang the trees with his stick. The monstrous cat would take the hint and silently slip away. Not even a tiger in the prime of life would seek a fight. He feels, what politicians are only beginning to realize in another sphere, that fighting is bad business. We must remember that the tiger has no medicaments, no surgical help, no hospitals, no friends, no companions. When he crawls away to lick his wounds, he is as solitary in a hostile world as a poor man, out of a job, on a wet wintry night on the Thames embankment, and suffers and dies unaided and alone. This is not conducive to courage. So even a tiger that has taken to eating men does not openly attack humanity, but lies in wait for it, to take it by surprise without fighting, seeking nothing but to get his dinner in the easiest way. Our common criminals, and many wholesale thieves of superficial respectability, are more dangerous than tigers because of their extra cunning, but not different in spirit. What difference there is, is in favor of the tiger. He is never malevolent or cruel. Like Jonathan Weill, he never hurts anybody except to benefit himself. The Englishman at home will perhaps now be ready to understand the next point that will surprise him, that the retiring habits of the tiger make him a rare sight, even in countries where he is at home. I have known many people who had often suffered from the depredations of tigers, but had never seen one, just as a man's house may be burgled more than once without seeing any of the burglars. The tiger is like a burglar who comes and goes in the dark. It is true that a globe trotter visiting Rangoon today, 1909, may buy on the pagoda steps a picture of a tiger upon the pagoda and be truly told that it was seen there. Some years ago a tiger did go up the gentle slope of the spire, and once arrived there he stood bewildered as if paralyzed, conspicuous like a weathercock upon a steeple, looking helplessly down upon a large port like Plymouth, a big, animated, and terrified target, while the soldiers shot at him till they killed him. But though Englishmen, who knew there were tigers always near might think this natural, and only wonder that it did not happen oftener, and wish it would, yet to the people of the country, who knew the habits of tigers, it seemed portentous. Long afterwards old men might be seen on the pagoda platform shaking their heads knowingly, and if you listened and understood them, you could hear them discussing what the miracle meant. It was certainly very odd. The poor animal must somehow have lost his reckoning. To use an old-fashioned phrase, he was never intended for a town life, and assuredly he never intended to try it. The pagoda stands on the skirts of the town, on the last bluff of the Pegu Hills, and he was probably going up it before he knew he had left the woods." An incident that took place near the scene of Mr. Hill's adventure may be mentioned to illustrate the normal ways of the tiger. Three officers united to assist the villagers there against a tiger that was thinning their herds. Each of them had killed big cats before, and one was locally famous as a hunter. His house was full of trophies, including scores of tiger skins, of which he was as proud as ever Red Indian was of scalps. About a hundred villagers who knew the ground well cooperated zealously. No mistakes were made, and everybody did his best for several days, and yet not one of the large party ever even saw the beast they were seeking. He had not gone away. He was lying low, and he resumed his cattle killings as soon as they stopped hunting. The whitest beet in woods like these is like a net flung at random into the sea. A hunter is lucky if he averages a single glimpse of such game for half a dozen days or nights out of bed. Experienced hunters seldom go out there after tiger, except to spend a night in a tree over a kill, which is generally a bullock killed and left half eaten, to which the tiger may return. So it is easy to understand why Hill was unwilling to lose sight of this fellow, especially if Colonel Pollock is rightly informed that it was a man-eater, For in that part of Burma the occasional man-eater is not only a public affliction, he is also more often than not old and decrepit. I saw one in the Satang Valley, which had killed three men in one week, and yet was a meager creature, with shrunken shanks and bald, bare hide, which made him look mangy, and with only a single whole tooth in his jaws, and two broken ones. So if Hill had heard the rumor which Colonel Pollock believed, and took this for a man-eater he might reasonably suppose he could take liberties the Caney dutch themselves have a proverb that the hares can pull the lion's beard when the lion has grown old it is a witty exaggeration of course as proverbs often are in reality neither hares nor horses nor deer of any kind would risk going near a lion or a tiger however old they shrink in horror from the like of a tiger I have felt a brave horse shudder at one although he was dead, for even in death he seemed terrible. But his carcass does not cumber long the ground. White ants have a horror of nothing, and maggots and microbes, safe in their insignificance, are equally impartial. Vultures, too, may serve the tiger for undertakers, as they serve the Parsis, or the wild dogs may anticipate them. Sometimes it has been credibly reported, that the dogs begin the tiger's funeral before he is dead, so that if only the Dutch had said, dogs, instead of hares, their proverb would have been, not wit, but natural history. Even if Phil had never heard about this tiger being a stiff old man-eater, he might have suspected it was one, because it was there, upon the footpath, as if it had fallen asleep while watching for some benighted traveler who might be caught unawares the few seconds Hill stood waiting for a gun would seem as many minutes or more in short it is easy to imagine how as he watched the big beast perhaps stretching itself and yawning seeming likely to step aside soon before a gun arrived into a wood wherein a few steps would make it safe from pursuit the big strong man lost patience and lifting his stick with both hands he hit the tiger on the head between the eyes This completed the wakening process. Hill said he only saw it disappear among the bushes at the side of the path. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Dobbs—he was young Dobbs then and on duty under Captain Manley—happened to be nearest to the front after Hill, and he and some sepoys hurried forward. In jungle fighting you run to the shouting, just as in ordinary war the rule used to be to march towards the sound of the cannon. So Dobbs, running forward in this way, was in time to see what followed. It was all over in a few seconds, and the reproaches of the troops in some histories of the event are without foundation. The tiger leapt out of the bush towards Hill's back, and with a paw on each of his shoulders was seen to be biting at the back of his neck, as if trying to get a grip. Then Hill, who had been flung forward into a stooping posture, but kept his foothold, straightened himself with a jerk whirled round and thrust out his arms in front of him with open palms as if pushing that at least is what it seemed like to me said the accurate veteran colonel dobbs and that was how Hale described it then the tiger fell backwards rolled on his back regained his balance with a soft silent celerity and disappeared again among the bushes almost like lightning and was seen no more hill came staggering towards dobbs and fell on his face in a dead faint he was bleeding freely from the neck but the bleeding was soon stopped only the upper fangs penetrated the neck writes colonel pollock what dobbs was sure of was only that in a short time hill was going about as usual though he complained of stiff neck for about two years afterwards in 1891. The Burmans thereabouts were still speaking of him as Kaya Manang, meaning the man that the tiger did not beat. He was honorably known to his countrymen in Burma for the rest of his life as Tiger Hill, and the many and various versions of his adventure might furnish texts for a book on mythology as long as Fraser's three big volumes on the Golden Bough. But as nearly all the reflections hitherto made upon it are refuted by this mere statement of the details, the present writer will take warning from the mistakes of his predecessors and leave readers, now in possession of the truth, to evolve their own reflections. End of section two, recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.